All right, so for anybody who's a first-timer, hello. My name is Ryan Longfield. My wife and I, Suki Longfield, are the senior pastors of this church. Welcome, welcome. We get a lot of visitors every week, so if you come here regularly, you'll hear me say this a lot. Um, But uh, we just want to welcome you. It's not always easy to come to a place where you've never been there before and to sit in the pew next to people that you don't know. Um, So thank you for being here. I believe that like when we make those steps, that God sees those steps. You know, even if it's not easy, uh, especially God sees those steps, and, uh, and I believe he'll reward you in this time. So this is the part of our service where we dive into uh, the scriptures. We've been going through uh, one of Jesus's biographies, the book of Matthew, and we're going to continue through. We're in chapter 27 here. And um, so before we dive into the text, I know we've been doing a lot of praying for like the church, for babies for toddlers, for other things. Uh, But I want to pray one more time before we get into the word, because what I'm going to talk today about is why in general do we do the things that we do? Like, what are the various influences and inputs that go in to produce the outputs that happen in our life that are our actions and our motions and our choices and the things that we do? And so as we do this, what, I'm at, what I would like to invite the Holy Spirit to do amongst us is to bring a great deal of clarity. Because I think oftentimes we don't know why we do the things that we do. And I think oftentimes we think we're doing something for one reason, and oftentimes it's for another. And so we're going to explore that. And what I think would be an incredible gift from our God is to reveal to us truth. Oftentimes, when we're in the exploration of truth, there can be scary aspects of truth, right? Like, how many of you have ever been reading your Bible or getting counsel from a friend where you know that you're going to possibly hear something that you really just don't want to do? All right. The 15 honest people in the room and I <laughs> believe this is a worthy topic to talk about. But yeah, there's the, there, it's a complex thing, right? Like, we're complex beings, and sometimes when we think there might be something on the other side that we might not want to hear, then we approach it in a different way. And what I want to do today is I just want to ask the Holy Spirit for a tremendous amount of grace for us to crave pure truth, to really just be people who are like, whatever's true, that's what I want. Anybody seen the movie Smallfoot? Yeah. Where are the parents in the house? Yeah, my wife and I. Yeah, you saw it? Oh, you're just a parent. No, okay, that's awesome. (laughs) Thanks for being there for me. There's this scene in the movie Smallfoot where it's like, it's about Bigfoots. And there's there's this lore that there's such things as small feet. And those are people. Right? It's kind of a fun, fun premise. But the leaders of the village lie to the people and say there's no such thing as small feet in order to protect them. And this whole movie is about how even if it's a lie in order to protect the people, it's not something that you would want to live in, right? It's like the Truman Show for people who are old enough to know that movie. It's the same thing, right? At the end of the Truman Show, even though the guys lived this beautiful life that's all about him, it's all centered on him. He's been given everything to prosper that he needs. At the end of the movie, everybody celebrates because he escapes from this fake reality and he gets to a place of truth. 
where he leaves the TV set and he goes out into the real world and everyone goes, yes! And so I think in the core of our beings, we understand this thing, which is like, I do not want to be living a lie. I want the authentic, I want the real. But when it comes down to like how we seek that out and how we interact with the truth, sometimes it can be tough. So that's all a preamble for me just to pray. But yes, okay, let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we long for the truth. God, you say um, that you came that you would give us truth, that you would show us reality, and that that truth would set us free. God, what I ask in this time is that by the power of your spirit, that you would be moving in this place, and that you would unveil truth for us, God, that truth would then set us free. That your vision, your view, the ultimate truth about reality would set us free. And so, God, I pray that you'd give us lives of freedom that come from your truth. And I pray that you'd do it in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's dive in. So we're starting in verse 20, and it will be up here, should you want to follow along. Okay, so in chapter 27, we're towards the end of Jesus' life. His disciples have betrayed him. He is now on his way towards the cross to be crucified. He finds himself at this moment uh, having the religious elders of the time tell lies about him and say that he's been doing a whole bunch of different things in order to get him crucified. And so now the, the religious elders of the time have him sitting before Pontius Pilate. Um, and Pilate is the governor over this area at this time. So he's the person who's ultimately in charge from a government standpoint. All right, in verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. When Pilate asked him, Do you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge. To the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, he had a well-known prisoner named Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, His wife sent him a message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. 
The reason why I want to talk about, in general, in life, why do we do the things that we do, is because you'll notice in this passage that there's a number of reasons why the different parties are doing the things that they're doing. So the first one that we see here is Pilate. Pilate is the governor of the the area. He's a politician. Uh, He is a Roman, and so he's ruling on behalf of Rome. And he's got these religious elites that have brought to him this innocent man, but that they're bringing some religious charge against. And you get the sense that Pilate just doesn't care at all about what's going on here, right? Like he's, this is your thing, Uh, you know, like, I don't care about the religious nature of what you're talking about. Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He's not asking so that he can understand truly from a religious perspective what's going on with Jesus. He's coming at it from a political perspective. And so what we see with Pilate is that his actions are primarily based upon the opinions of the masses. If we bubble up, if we boil down, why is Pilate doing what he's doing in in this particular story? It's based on the opinions of the masses. It says when Pilate looked out over the crowd and he started to see that there was an uproar and that he was getting nowhere... What does that tell you? He was getting nowhere. That means that he has an objective. And what is that objective? It's to get through this mess. His his desire is to get through it without the crowds getting all disrupted because he just wants peace. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about what's going on here. So he's totally driven by what's going on with the crowd. He looks and sees what's going on there. And the, the opinion of the masses is the thing that moves Pilate. The Pharisees' actions in this are based on their own self-interests. And you read it in the passage here, that he knew it was their own self-interest that had brought Jesus before him. In other words, it wasn't justice that they were seeking. It wasn't that, uh, it wasn't that they were so outraged from a religious perspective, evenly, as the religious leaders. They were hypocrites. They were trying to preserve their own power. They were in this for what they could gain out of it, not what, could, what they could give as great religious leaders. And so what are, they motiv- what are the Pharisees motivated by? It's very clear. It's their own self-interest. Even Pilate saw it, and we see it in the way that they're behaving. And then there's a couple others in this. There's the crowds. And the crowd's opinion, if you remember a chapter back, they were shouting a different song. There was a thif- different thing that they were shouting together. And if you were here for those sermons or you're familiar with the book of Matthew, what they were doing is Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and they were yelling about the same person a very different tune. It was Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Praise God, our Messiah is here. They're laying their cloaks and palm branches down in the streets to declare that the King of glory is coming into the, into the holy city. And everybody is abuzz and a roar with Jesus who they're declaring to be Messiah. And then a couple days later, they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Can I just say that this is like so humanity? (laughs) Right? This This is us, people. We are so moved by the people on our right and our left. Right? You have politicians that are influenced by the masses, These are individuals that are standing amongst a crowd and there's a person on their right and there's a person on their left and, oh, today it's crucify him? That's what we're doing? Oh, okay, got it. Like, 
Okay, let's, let's do this thing. We're, we're doing the crucify him thing today. Before it was the palm branches thing, today it's the crucify him thing. And so the crowds, their actions are based on those to the right and to the left. We also have Jesus, who you know is going to be the hero of the story because he always is. His actions are to say nothing. And we talked about this last week, that he's doing that because he's not interested in people's power. He's not interested in Pilate's political power. He's not interested in the religious power. He's not interested in the people's opinion. He's interested in God's opinion. And so he's just got his eyes fixated on God. You know what I need to do. I know what I need to do. I'm walking this path. I don't need to open my mouth to these people because these people don't have power over me anyway. Let's just do this thing. And I'm not intimidated to, to not talk right now. And even Paul, Pilate is amazed by Jesus' actions because he's not making his decisions based on worldly influences. He's fixated on the mission that he has before him of going to the cross. There's one other interesting party in here, though. The actions of Pilate's wife are really interesting. So this theoretically is somebody who doesn't know much about the Jewish religion, uh, has probably never spent a day following Jesus down a dirty road. This is a politician's wife who hears something that's going on, and something goes on in her in the middle of the night where she just knows spiritually that they should have nothing to do with this, that this is not a good idea and she takes action according to this bad dream. I mean, there's so many things that she could have done. This was probably pretty risky. Like, he's out dealing with a mob, and she sends word, like, go now and tell him about this dream that I had to not get yourself involved in this. It's pretty cool. The only person in the story besides Jesus who's getting it right in this is the woman, is, is the wife of, of, the, of Pilate. I think that's pretty cool. All of them, except Jesus and Pilate's wife, end up in the wrong place at this moment because they're compelled by all of these other forces. And I just want to stop and say, man, our world is so filled with all these other forces. I think we all know this, but it's sometimes good to just stop and say, let's remind ourselves that it's loud. It's just everywhere right now. And I was talking to Suki before this, and I was like, hey, when, when you think about why people make bad decisions, like, what do you think about? You know, like, when people make bad decisions and do actions that are wrong, like, what do you think about there? And she goes, to be perfectly honest with you, when people make good decisions, I'm surprised. <laughs> and when she said it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so true. Right? And I feel like even in the life of Jesus, there's these moments where when people choose right, he's like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> yes, Peter, I am the Christ. That was amazing. In fact, there's so few people that got that. I'm going to build my entire church on you, yeah. <laughs> right? Or the, or the centurion who has some faith, right? He's like, yeah, you don't even need to come to my house. And he's like, oh my gosh, like, I haven't seen any kind of faith like this in all of Israel. This is unbelievable. And it's like someone actually believes or somebody, you know, believes a word that God says is true or has faith. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And so I think that the topic of why we do what we do and breaking that down and looking at a passage where there's political influences coming in, 
There's somebody being influenced by the political environment. There's people who have fear of man stuff, like on the right and on the left. It's like, okay, guys, like, what are we doing? Like, influenced by the people that are surrounding us to an unhealthy degree that leads us, again, remember in the story, this leads them to the wrong answer. But in a crazy way, the same thing led them to the right answer a chapter before. And that's kind of the nature of being swayed by the people around you. It's like sometimes the people around you will get it right, and sometimes the people around you will get it wrong. And so when they get it right, it's like, oh, okay, this is working. Yeah, like, you know, they've got some wins in their life. Maybe they've got some wisdom. And it's like, no, and it's like a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes too, right? <laughs> and so it's like, on the right, on the left, people influencing us, the masses influencing us, the religious authorities influencing us. It's like all of these influences coming from all over these places. And then, like for Pilate, there's our own personal fears, our ambitions. For the religious leaders, their own personal fears, their own ambitions. It's like, it gets really confusing. And I think it's just healthy for us to stop a second and go, man, it's kind of hard to get it right a lot of times. We're not in a journey where you can make your decisions carelessly and without knowing the things that are influencing you and why you're doing what you're doing and end up winning in life. In order to do this well, Jesus talks about this, but he says, the path is narrow, guys. Like, there's a well-beaten path, and it leads to destruction. And I think when we look at our world, it feels like Jesus' words really ring true with that. There's a lot of people doing a lot of crazy things right now, and a lot of it's not leading to life. And that feels like the well-beaten path. And then there's this other path that Jesus takes, and he models for us here, doing something that is 100% counterintuitive, where he's sitting there at complete peace, not talking to the guy who's supposedly in charge, but trusting his destiny to God and walking towards this self-sacrificial route where he's living love on behalf of humanity. And so I think it's healthy for us to stop. It just begs the question, how do we remain compelled to action by the right things? How do we consistently in life remain compelled to action by the right things and therefore walk the path of life? So the first one will not be surprising because I've just been talking about it a bunch with the crowds. It's the opposite version of the crowds. Make sure that the people on your right and your left are wise people whose lives that you admire and that you can see the fruit of God in their lives. This is so simple, but I need to say it. Bad company corrupts good character, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. The Bible is very clear that the people that you want to surround yourself with, this doesn't mean don't go to work. Right? This doesn't mean don't go to class. It doesn't mean hole up in the church sanctuary and stay there for the rest of your life. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean join a monastery. Right? Like, that's the version of this that's like, I'm not a huge fan of, which is isolate yourself from the world. And if God has you do that for a season, God bless you. I have a category for that. But for your whole life, I don't totally get it. Right? So this isn't saying pull yourself out of the world 
and don't be relevant to anybody and don't have any friends at your workplace and it's scary and like it's in your classroom like it's scary don't go there and everything's scary and so like don't listen to anybody except for your pastor and you know maybe a couple podcasts yeah right that's not this version this version is be amongst all types of people go and be in the world just don't be of the world and the way you're not of the world is by be very careful about the people that you allow to influence you. When the, when the Bible talks about bad company corrupts good character, what this is saying is if you're allowing people that have poor character or that don't walk with God too close to the influence center that happens in your life, I guarantee you 100% this is absolutely true It's not optional. You're not stronger than everybody else. You will be influenced. 100%. Given that we just had a big lottery. You guys have heard this before. 99% of people who win the lottery end up wildly depressed. But there's still lines down the block for the $2 billion lottery. Why is that the case? Because everybody believes that they're different from everybody else. (laughs) Including me. <laughs> if I won the two billion, it would be a different story because I've got good character and see what I'd do is I'd buy an orphanage in every nation on earth and it, you know everybody thinks that this doesn't apply it applies to all of us. You need to be very, very careful with your influence center. You need to be very careful that you're not finding yourself amongst the crowd sounding like the crowd. If you sound too much like the crowd, you probably have ceased being salt and light. And so if we're walking this life in the way that we should, we're going to need each other. We're going to need the voices on our right and our left to be the ones that are like, we're laying down our life for Christ still, right? Like we're doing this because I'm having a hard time right now. It's like, yeah, bless you. I'm having an awesome time. I'm filled with Jesus. Like, you know, yes, we're doing this. And then it's like, you know, if one falls down, there's a couple to pick them up and walk for a while. And then they've got their legs and somebody else falls. We need each other. And so the first one is make sure the people on your right and your left are wise people, people whose lives you admire, and that you don't allow people with bad character to corrupt you. Now, there has to be an asterisk here. Because we're a lot of high standard people up in here. (laughs) So what I'm not saying is that the people around you need to be perfect. Right? What I'm not saying is that there's a good reason to ditch every friendship that you have because they're not Jesus. Just don't surround yourself with fools. Cool? All right. Make sure you stay honest with yourself is number two. Don't be afraid of the truth. I was listening to a podcast this week. I like podcasts too. Um, This particular one, this guy said something that I thought was really interesting. He said that, um, so one of my favorite ministers is this guy, this dude named Bill Johnson. And the guy operates in just a really high level of revelation. Like he, he says something that everybody says, and it just feels like it has a lot more life and a lot more wisdom on it. You're like, everyone's like, whoa, that was amazing. You're like, no, that was, that's like, he said that 15 times, you know? It's like, it just, it's just different with him. 
And this guy who's been walking with him for 40 years gets this question all the time, like, what's different about this guy? Like, how does he operate in such a high level of, of revelation? When I heard this rhetorical question, because he was preaching, I was like, ooh, I want to know the answer to this. And he said something that I thought was really profound. What he said was, because when Bill reads the Bible, he reads it to be shaped by it, not to confirm the things that he believes he already knows. When Bill sits down in front of his Bible, he's not looking for confirmation bias to reinforce everything that he already believes. He's looking to be moved by it, to be shaped by it, to even be cut by it. And I think this is the point where we need to be really honest with ourselves. Like there's so many times in my life where I feel like I'm seeking God for truth, but what I'm actually seeking God for is for him to just give me uh, the word to say that what I hope is not true is, is okay. I don't know if you've ever been here. I've certainly been here. And the interesting thing is in this passage, it actually shows up. It says in verse 11, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he says, You have said so. I've been meditating on this, you have said so, passage, because it's come up three times in the last chapter and a half of Matthew. Jesus gets asked these questions. Hey, this is Judas. I'm not going to be the one betraying you, right? And he goes, you have said so. And then the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, do you claim to be the son of God? And he says, you have said so. And Pilate comes to him and says, hey, are you claiming to be the king of the Jews? And he says, you have said so. This is all in the same environment where Jesus is just not giving any direct answers. He's sitting there silent before his accusers. And so this is a very interesting thing. What Jesus is doing here is he's speaking to an audience that's not pure in heart. He's speaking to an audience that's not pure in heart. They're mixed in heart. Pilate wants to let him off, but he's also tweaked by this, these masses. And Jesus knows that no matter what truth he gives him, it's not going to change his actions. The same thing is true with the Pharisees, the chapter before. No matter what truth he gives them, it's not going to change his actions. Are you the son of God? He could say, I am. You know, they're going to do the same thing. They're just going to do it faster. And then Judas is the same thing. Judas had already determined in his heart that he was going to betray Jesus. And so he says, he puts it back on them to reveal what's going on with them. You have said so. In other words, the important thing in this right now is not that I give you more truth, which you think you're looking for. It's that I reveal your heart and what's going on with you. This is Jesus, man. Jesus is so brilliant. You're coming to me thinking that what you need is more truth, but what you need is to have your heart revealed. And so he just answers right back with, you have said so. And I feel like there's, when I heard this, I was like, there have been so many times I feel like now that I reflect back where I'm seeking God's truth about something in like a quiet time or in the Bible. And I feel like he's just sitting there going like, 
Yeah, I mean, you've said so. Yep, yeah, you've said so. And the reason why he does that is because he's reorienting. He's, again, he's getting us to what matters. He's getting us to truth. And what the truth is, oftentimes, when we don't approach the Bible the way Bill does, or when we ask him questions but we've got a mixed heart, is that no matter what he says back to us, I'm still going to do the thing that I was planning on doing, whether you say it or not. And so I think in those environments, it's his mercy that he doesn't give us more truth. Because if he gives us more truth, then we're just responsible for more truth. And so it's actually his mercy in those moments that he gives us something that's ambiguous. And we go, man, I'm just not hearing the voice of the Lord lately. I don't know what it is. I've been camping out in the Beatitudes this week. And one of the Beatitudes stood out to me like crazy. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for you will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for you will see God. And what we see here is the reverse version of that. We see a number of different parties, and the commonality that they have is that there's tons of mixture in heart, and none of them see God right before them right in their midst, clear and obvious, the same one that they were yelling Hosanna about a chapter before, they're now completely blinded to because there's this mixture of heart that has totally blinded them. So for us, how do we approach this? Is it like, you know, am I just speaking out a confirmation that your heart is not the way it should be and everybody leaves heavy because it's church and that's the way it's supposed to work in church? No. All of us have some mixture that's going on in there. All of us do. We're not waiting for the moment at the end of the line where finally I'm pure in heart and yay, I can now see God. It's not that. What it is is we need to understand that in any area of our heart where there is mixture, it blinds us to God. And so we need to have a hatred for the areas of our heart where there's mixture towards God. Oh, this is the thing that's blinding me towards God? This is why I can't see God? Oh, this is the thing that's the reason that I can't hear his voice? Holy Spirit, there's mixture right here. I see it. Come in. Heal that thing. Do whatever you need to do. Increase the fires of my life to burn that stuff away. If I need to go through trials, so be it. If I need to go through discipline, so be it. Whatever it is, just purify my heart so that I can see God. We need to have honest moments before the Lord where we come against this stuff because it's vile and we're so used to it that we just allow it to be there. And so we need to have these moments where we come to God and just like, like David said, we just get before him like the psalmist and just said, search me and know me, God. Search me and know every part of me. Because he realized that if he goes internal without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the clarity of the Holy Spirit, sure he's gonna see a bunch of junk, but he's not gonna see what God wants him to see in those moments. We need to do this in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's just condemnation. But the way this is done well is you take the hand of the one whose name is counselor and say, I'm going to need some of your comfort. I'm going to need some of your counseling. I'm going to need some of your truth because this is going to be a nasty journey as we walk through the depths of what's going on in here. And then he walks to you going, oh, yeah, ignore that stuff. I know that's, you know, that's, but, but this is the thing that we want to focus on today. This is the thing that we want to go after today. And he's a guide to our life to bring freedom. But the way that we end up 
not making stupid decisions, not building our lives in ways that leads to death, is that we get honest with ourselves. Number three, and the final thing, is it's really, really important that we know why what we believe is true. This, ki- this kind of feels a little like, what do you mean? Like, if you believe it, then don't you know why you believe what you believe? And the answer is no. <laughs> right? There's oftentimes things that we believe that we don't know why we believe them. And so what maturity over time looks like is you know more and more why you believe what you believe. And if you think about this for parents, there's totally a right part of your development where you believe a whole bunch of stuff and you have no idea why you believe that stuff. Like when you have young kids, the reason why you believe everything that you believe is because your parents tell you to believe that stuff. And you have no real understanding of of why you believe what you believe. And in the spiritual life, there's a place for that. When you're young in the Lord, it's really good that you believe a bunch of things that you don't exactly know why you believe what you believe because somebody else has walked with Jesus for 40 years of their life. And you look at their life and there's clear fruit and you go, well, until I figure it out for me, I'm just going to like walk really closely to this person. That's why we'll read in the epistles, Paul say something like, be imitators of me. That feels scary to me, right? Like, I don't know, maybe I will, but I don't know that I would ever, I would say that, you know, like right now. I'm so sanctified that I feel like, hey church, be imitators of me as I walk with Christ. Like, wow, that's like, that's pretty bold. But the, but the point is, is that Paul's in a place of spiritual maturity where he knows why he believes what he believes and it's, it's saturating his real life to the point where he can say to others that aren't in that place, just follow me. I'm the visible version of Christ for you right now. And this is exactly like development with kids. And so I think it's, it's good for us to have a moment where we go, okay, where am I in my path of maturity? Am I at the point where I just need to kind of follow and, and as I do so, I'm going to gain understanding? Or am I at the place where I've been walking with Jesus for 15 years and I still don't know why I believe that he died and rose again? Like, if somebody asked me, why do you believe God's good? On the other side of that, would there be this, oh, easy. Should I give you the six stories from last week or the 20 from the week before? If you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time and you can't answer questions like that, Don't leave condemned, all that stuff. Just use this as a charge that there's an invitation to more. There's an invitation to walk with God to a place where he gives you the answers that you've been looking for in those areas. It just takes us asking the right questions and understanding that it's really, really important that we have real answers to these things. Because these answers are great for peacetime. They're your lifeblood for wartime. They're great when there's no storm in your life. They're a necessity when there is a storm in your life. And so what I, what I see happening a lot, a lot, especially in this day and age, is that somebody will be walking the path of life, 
doing really well. And then something happens that life gets tough. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I didn't hear these voices on my right and my left from the world that were telling me about this other life that exists. Oh, I wonder what that is. And then it's like, there's no root. There's no foundation. There's no real understanding of, oh, wow, I'm tempted to do that. But I remember and I know why I believe what I believe. And it's because of this. And even though I don't feel it right now, and even though God's voice is a million miles away, I have a foundation to my faith that is stable and it's strong. And I believe for a good reason. And it holds you safe like an anchor. When I was growing up, the church that I grew up in had very little Holy Spirit. Some of y'all, I've talked to you, you grew up in Holy Roller churches where people are, you know, shofars and rolling around on the ground. I had none of that stuff. I, was in, I, was, I grew up in a very, very conservative church that loved the Bible and loved evangelism. And then everything else was like a diff, distant third or fourth or fifth, right? The blessing of that is that I took so many classes and, uh, and, and like workshops and things on apologetics that I feel like I have this foundation under my faith that has to do with the underlying principles. You know, apologetics is the word that means defense for the faith. It means like knowing why you believe what you believe so that you can articulate it well uh, and have a defense. A defense for your faith when you need it and then a defense like... This is why I believe what I believe for others when you need that. But man, I went deep in this. I read C.S. Lewis. I, I read like all these things on like creationism versus uh, atheism. Um, you know, I read like just tons of stuff. Was studying my Bible all the time. And I remember when I started to meet crazy charismatics and being like, man, I'm so jealous of what these people have because it feels like there's so much life in their faith all the time that I started to go down that path, it was very quickly that I realized that oftentimes charismatics are really like, there's just no foundation under there. That it's like when the wind's blowing this way, it's like, but then as soon as the wind blows this way, it's like, right? And so for this message, I'll preach about healing signs and wonders, deliverance and miracles in another sermon. But for this message, it's really important that we know why we believe what we believe. If you've never taken the journey through apologetics or through just sitting down with the Lord and sitting there with a notebook and being like, God, will you show me why I should believe that you're good? Like, I get the cross. That's my anchor point. That's my anchor point always. But, but build on that if you would, Lord. If you would, in humility. And, and watch him layer on truths where you don't leave your foundation, but you layer on truths to the point where you're starting to go like, oh, I get it. Like, why do I believe that the world was created by the word of God? Oh, like I, I could talk to somebody about that for two hours. Like, I love that. But it's because I studied. It's because I cared. It's because it felt important to me. And so what I would say to us here is, when we get back to where we are, the, 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 the masses swaying us, the, the, the political spirit in this case swaying us, the religious leaders swaying us, it's like we are in an environment where it's not optional for us to know why we believe the things that we believe. 
And so this would be a charge for us, church, of like, start asking the basic questions of God. Start going to the one who has all of the answers and start saying like, Lord, man, it would be really cool if you taught me about this. Like, where's your heart hungry? Where, where, where does your curiosity sparked again? Right, like where can that childlike thing be revived again where you start to wonder about how the world works and go like, oh man, I wonder, God, like, why is the universe so huge? You know, like, I wonder why you made our bodies work like this. Like, why did you make us so we don't have eyes on the back of our head? Or like, whatever. Like, get lost in the mystery of God as creator and why he does the things that he does and start asking those questions of God again and start understanding and having a basis to the foundation of the things that you believe. Like I said, when you're younger in your faith, it's healthy to have big gaps in your knowledge, and it's good and wise to stay close to leaders that have been put in your life by the Lord. In James 3, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. The reason why teachers are judged more strictly is because you're supposed to give them influence in your life. He wouldn't judge them more strictly if it wasn't the rightful place for teachers to have influence over your life. The place of teachers is something that's God-ordained. But what great teachers do is they don't teach you something and then don't encourage you to think. What great teachers do is they use the moment of curiosity and the moment of exploration that you help them through in order to learn how to think, in order to understand the underpinnings, right? And so that's what I'm trying to do in this moment is like, I'm trying to stir your curiosity to a place where you go to the next level and you teach yourself how to think about these things. You go to teachers and go like, when you're thinking about this, how do you navigate this type of thing? And great teachers will lead you like a great parent will to the point where you're mature in your faith and you know how to make decisions on your own. So these three things are the things that I want to just talk about, like I want to secure with us. So first, be careful who you make company with. Be careful who you allow to influence you. Don't be like the crowds in this story. The second one is make sure you're honest with yourself. Don't be afraid of the truth, like in this story Pontius Pilate was, and Jesus has to say to him, you have said so. And then the last one is, know why you believe what you believe. Don't allow it to be okay that you've been walking with Jesus for this long, and you can't answer a question of like, you know, hey, why are you a disciple of Jesus? Like, why? Why do you believe the Bible's true? I don't know. Why do you believe that the earth was created and not just random chance by a big explosion? Like, why do you believe that stuff? Like, this is the stuff that will serve as cornerstones and safety to us as we navigate this insane world. And so why don't we stand together and I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to go out and have dinner in this insane world. And celebrate missions, that's right. All right, let's pray. Jesus, at the beginning, we ask that we would be people hungry after truth and that you would remove confusion from our eyes and our ears as we navigated this time. God, I thank you that I believe that your spirit was moving. And God, I just pray, God, for any seed that went forth that landed on soil that's receiving it, but having that struggle that goes on inside when we're like, oh man, like what do I do in this situation? 
God, I pray that the posture of that heart, God, would be to come with you with open arms and say, God, that you alone have the keys to eternal life. You alone have the path of life. So whatever you're doing in the stirring of our heart, God, I pray that you would increase the intensity of it, God, and that it would just protect that seed to the place where it bears true fruit. And so, God, I just speak against any confusion. I speak against any condemnation. God, when we come to you, with open arms in Christ Jesus, there's no place for condemnation. Don't let us hide behind fig leaves. Don't let us protect ourselves from your truth. We don't want to be protected from your truth, God. We want the real, authentic Jesus. We want to be real, authentic discipleships. We want to be real, authentic, pure in heart followers of the living God so that we could see you. So that we could see you. We give you the glory and the honor. We ask your grace as we go from this place and we live in this crazy world. Teach us how to walk the path of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.